Welcome to another episode of TA2B, or not TA2B. Not TA2B. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, sorry, I probably should have asked you this before you press record. Sorry. Have you put it on the microphone, not the... Yeah. Thank you. That's what you always yeah. say, oh, I don't know if I've done that or not. Okay, so we're going to be discussing, um, we are going to be discussing obstetrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to put in there uh, some trophoblastic disease, which isn't necessarily obstetrics. So did we not finish that? Because we didn't oh, yeah. notice it was on that page. Uh, but I think this, I would count this in like obstetrics. Okay. Um, and the other thing uh for when we're re-listening, mm-hmm. for you lazy bums re-listening, um, go and do the Ritty modules because I actually yeah. think they're better than this book. Okay. Happy? That's really good, thank you. Yeah, go and do the Ritty modules, you lazy buggers. <laughs> Stop fanning about listening to a podcast thinking it's revision. <laughs> mm-hmm. So gestational trophoblastic disease, tell me any thoughts about it. Oh, you've got some chalky going on, righty. Um, so... Uh, you know about this because a woman gets a really wild beta HCG mm-hmm. um, and they often present with like hyperemesis because beta HCG is the thing that makes you feel sick and you've got loads of it. So, you know, when you're pregnant and you get hyperemesis gravidum, mm-hmm. that's because your beta HCG for some reason has gone wild. And same with this. Um, so you've got this really big beta HCG um, and then the way that you can like monitor for trophoblastic disease after you treat it is with beta HCG, so a serial and watch it going down. Um, I'm really is this the one where you think you're pregnant and then you're not? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, it doesn't sound very nice. And I, when I read this earlier, uh, I found it quite confusing. And um, even the Ritty mod- module is good, mm-hmm. but um, I still found it quite confusing and I'm not quite sure I've got to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So I might need to revisit this. Mm-hmm. And if I learn any more, I'll tell you. Thank you. Uh, but so um, bits of trivia that so gestational trophoblastic disease is often just called uh, like a mole yeah and there are different types of moles Um, things that make you more likely to get a mole previous pregnancies no so it's if you're over the age of 40 Mm. and have had a prior mole okay I mean that makes sense yeah um, so you've got two types of moles. You've got a hydatidiform mole mm-hmm. and an invasive mole. Mm-hmm. And within the hydatidiform moles, you've got some different subtypes. Yeah. So you've got complete and partial. Mm-hmm. Um, complete moles. So this is a benign disease. Yeah. Complete moles, also called a classic mole. That's 70% of them. So they're the most common. Um, this one involves the entire placenta. Are you talking about a complete hydatiform? Hydatiform, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no fetus. Um, and uh, the thing that they seem to say all the time, and I don't really understand, is that the karyotype is diploid. I know that I didn't really understand that. I didn't really understand yeah. why they were banging on about yeah. that. But um, so the pathogenesis is an egg that is empty and has no chromosomes in, has been fertilised. So it's only male, uh, not male, it's only the sperm chromosomes that are involved. Um, one thing to be aware of is a total zebra scenario, <laughs> your favourite. Um, I was re-listening to that on the way here and like we really cackle in that episode. That, oh, bit, that bit, we're like... <laughs> 
Um, so a total zebra scenario is that you have a normal fetus and a complete mole, and that's because you've got a twin pregnancy from two eggs. One egg didn't have anything in it. Exactly. Um, and it says here, if you see that in the wild, write it up. So it's obviously not common, but a theoretical thing that could that, happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so then it looks slightly different on first trimester and second trimester, which is horrid if you get to like second trimester. trimester. Yeah. So first trimester, uterus is filled with an echogenic, solid, highly vascular mass, often described as snowstorm in appearance. We hear snowstorm all the time, don't we? Between some breast and... Yeah. Oh, God. We should come back to it. In breast? Ooh. What is snowstorm in breast? I don't know. Rupture of a silicon implant. Thank you. I'm pretty sure that is some excellent knowledge. Sideways knowledge. Love that. Um, second trimester, the vesicles that make up the mole enlarge into individual cysts from two to th- 30 millimetres. Wait, so is a mole always vesicles? Yeah, so um, you've got to think of a mole as like a placenta that's yeah. gone absolutely wild. wild. Okay. So and, if you think and of actually like as a placenta develops, that has areas. You get those like the villi get like bigger yeah, and bigger, yeah. and you get those cysts and whatever yeah. as it's getting and wilder and wilder. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so on this, you get um, vesicles that make up the mole enlarge into individual cysts that can be anywhere from two millimeters to thirty millimeters to three Just centimeters. Yeah. That's quite big and then you get the, it gives you a bunch of grapes appearances the classic yeah. we've all heard that yeah um, a partial mole so that's less common 30 percent of the time this one involves only a portion of the placenta and you do have a fetus but um it's got triploid karyotype so it's not, not like a viable viable. fetus um and the pathogenesis is fertilization of an egg by two sperm and it is lethal to the fetus yeah. Um, and on ultrasound, this one looks like you get an enlarged placenta with multiple areas of diffuse anechoic lesions. Okay. So you get a weird looking placenta, okay. but no. And it, this one, you may see fetal parts, but no, not, not a normal looking fetus. Okay. Um, but again, presumably quite hard to diagnose that initially. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, grim. Yeah. Um, and then he says here... Remember that I mentioned theca lutean cysts. Can you remember why we were talking about theca lutean cysts? Can you remember anything about them? Well, I remember when we were talking about the progression, you know, the timeline, which I think you actually got from Mandel's, but they definitely do talk about theca here. It was like one on the timeline. Um, No, those are corpus lutean things. But we did talk about theca as well. Hmm. One second while I try and work out why we've spoken about Theca. There. Aha. Theca lutean cyst. This is a type of functional cyst related to overstimulation from beta-HCG. And that's when you get, when you get loads of them, you get that um, multilocular cystic spoke wheel appearance. And we would expect to see, so when you see it, you think about three things. We've spoken about this before. Okay. Can you remember any of them? Theca lutean cyst. No, no, when you see multiple theca lutean cysts, you think about oh, three things. You can think about um, hyperstimulation syndrome. Really nice. Or I guess maybe a mole. Gestational trophoblastic disease, moles. Okay. And there's a third thing. Um, 
think about why you would have more beta HCG than usual. Multi-fetal pregnancy. Oh. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, good. I'm glad we've said that. Yeah. Um, and then with ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, sorry, just because I've forgotten this, you get um, ovaries with thecoluteum cysts, ascites and pleural effusions, and you can get like pericardial effusions. And the reason you're worried about it is because the ovaries are big, so they taut and you get hypovolemic shock. Yeah. Please excuse me. So going back to... Because you're third spacing, exactly. Um, so we're going back to the hydatidiform. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Hydatidiform? Hydatidiform. Oh, hydatidiform. <laughs> um, so he says, remember I mentioned thecoluteal cysts seen in molar pregnancies. The piece of trivia is that they are actually most commonly seen in the second trimester and a bilateral. Thecoluteal cysts. Yeah. Makes sense that if you've got loads of beta HCG, it would be on both sides. It would affect your ovaries. But when they're by, that's when they're actual thecoluteal cysts, not when they're moles, no? It, um, so they're associated with molar pregnancy. So you've got the mole going on mm-hmm. in the uterus, and, and these are ovarian cysts. Okay. So they'd be bilateral okay, so in the ovaries. It says in my head, I've got you've got a bunch of grapes in the uterus, and you've got bunches of grapes in the. You've got ovaries. spoke wheels. Well, yeah, spoke, spoke wheels. wheels. They're not the same as no. Stop it. Don't get grapes. confused. <laughs> But yes, bunches of grapes everywhere. everywhere. Lovely. Um, okay. Very good. And then, so we've that was our hydatidiform moles, yeah. of which we've got complete and partials. Yeah. And then you've got something called an invasive mole. Nefty. Any thoughts? Well, it's invasive. To invade <laughs> to where? into my myometrium. Really nice, yeah. Um, so this is invasion of molar tissue into the myometrium. Do you know when you see it? Um, when does it happen? Why does a mole become invasive? Because it becomes malignant. So you typically see it after treatment of a hydatidiform mole. Oh, yeah, because you've tried to do something to the myometrium. And then then you've, like, given it an in. Um, So it can happen in about 10% of cases, which to me seems really high. Um, And then ultrasound shows echogenic tissue in the myometrium. But MRI is a better way of demonstrating muscle invasion. Um, And in the MRI, you get myometrial masses, dilated vessels, and areas of hemorrhage and necrosis. Makes sense. You've got placenta in your myometrium, yeah. right? Yeah. Lovely. Any questions about those ones? No. And then we've got choriocarcinoma. Oh, okay. So it's like slightly different, yeah. an invasive Sorry. mole. So that is an aggressive malignancy that forms only trophoblasts, no villous structure. So you're uh, it's like bits of your placenta, half of your placenta, but not the villus part. Yeah. But, um, um, the typical attacking pattern of choriocarcinoma is to spread locally into the myometrium and parametrium, then to spread um, hematogenously to any site in the body. What do we know about choriocarcinomas already? There's one fact I know from previous, previous episodes. No, I know that they're very vascular. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they're very vascular. Exactly. It's going to be, isn't it? So they're going to bleed loads. Um, And yes, their beta HCG will be raised and it will keep going up. So the classic clinical scenario is serum beta HCG levels that rise in the eight to 10 weeks following evacuation of a molar pregnancy. So that's why you serial 
check. So you thought it was murder pregnancy, but actually it was chloroplastin. I think so, yeah. Or, yeah, it must be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on ultrasound, choriocarcinoma at any site results in a highly echogenic solid mass. I feel like all of these things have been echogenic. Yeah, like bloody. They're going to be, yeah. Um, and then do you know how it's treated? Oh, no, mm-hmm. um, It's quite a good way. It was quite an intuitive. It's treated with methotrexate, which is what you treat unwanted pregnancies with, isn't it? It's how you get rid of unwanted. Termination, yeah, medical. termination, that's what I mean. Mm, very good. I was going to say the other type of termination. <laughs> type of termination. <laughs> yeah. Cut it out. Oh, yeah. One moment. Okay, so we're going to talk about obstetrics now. Yeah. We'll move on. Um, again, the RITI modules are better. So we'll go. We'll do quick overview, but we're not going to labour the points too much. Yeah. Um, what is? Uh, tell me about how you age a pregnancy. Oh, how do you age? So, I think. Within the first trimester, or like initially, you can quite accurately age it with ultrasound, but the later you go on in the pregnancy, using dates from period is more accurate. Something like that, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> um, so you've got menstrual age and embryological yeah. age. Embryological, that's ultrasound. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and what's the difference between menstrual age and embryological age? In terms of which one's more accurate? No, in terms of days. Oh. That's why I think it depends when you do it. Mm -hmm. Later on in the pregnancy, the difference becomes bigger. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly. Um, Here it says menstrual age is embryological age plus 14 days, which makes sense. You ovulate on day 14, don't you? 14? 16. Menstrual age is embryological age plus 14 days. Because your menstrual age is from your first day of your last period. Yeah. Actually, doesn't say anything about it here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, this is in a bit about fetal biometry, 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 and yeah. fetal growth. Yeah. Um, and it says gestational age. So that's the ultrasound estimates of gestational yeah. age, the most accurate in early pregnancy. Yeah. And become less precise in the later portions. Age in the first trimester is made from the crown rump length. And then second and third trimester estimates for age are typically done using the BPD, which is biparietal diameter. Very nice. Um, HC, head circumference. AC. Abdominal circumference. And FL. Fetal, or female length. And this is referred to as the composite gestational age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the first trimester, the crown rump length is accurate to 0.5 weeks, half a week. Yeah. And second and third, the composite gestational age is accurate, uh, gosh, to 1.2 weeks in the between 12 and 18 weeks. Is that the second trimester? I don't know what the trimesters are. But accurate to three weeks between 36 and 42 yeah, weeks. Rubbish. What's the point? Yeah. Fine. Okay. Um, uh, when do we call something an embryo and when do we call it a fetus? Good question. Really if I say so myself. Um, I know how an embryo looks. It's an embryo before a fetus. Mm-hmm. 
pages. I'm going to have one more bit of when this and then I've got to put it away. No. Oh. It's done on a um, age. Four weeks? No. Embryo zero to ten weeks menstrual age, fetus greater than ten weeks menstrual age. Um, tell me about the different types of abortion. Oh, medical, surgical. No, no. they're like threatened and. Oh. Oh well, well, threatened is when you've got, I think. Um, bleeding but closed cervix Mm -hmm. and then complete is or like happening is bleeding open cervix and then finished is you passed (laughs) so there's threatened abortion as you said bleeding with closed cervix yeah inevitable abortion the cervix is dilated yeah and there's like placenta or fetal tissue going Dying. through. Yeah. Incomplete abortion. You've still got products in the uterus. And it's now closed again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say that. Okay. I don't know. Complete abortion is when everything's gone. Missed abortion. You've got a dead fetus still in the uterus. Grim. Um, Which isn't so much missed abortion as the fetus has died and it's still in there. Yeah. It's not. I think uh, it's different. I guess termination and abortion are different. different things, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though colloquially we use them as the same. Yeah. yeah I think that's not... um, what is the intradecidual sign? Oh, this does really ring a bell. <laughs> I think it's the first thing that you see. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you can. The difficulty with this is that you can um, get it confused with just fluid mm-hmm. within the endometrium. And I read to the Ritty the differences. Yeah. Uh, so it's like essentially one of the first signs of pregnancy. And what you're say, seeing is the gestational sac. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think if it's a real pregnancy, what will help you tell you that it's that and not just simple fluid is that the like outer lining will be thicker and the, um, the sac will be eccentric where if it's fluid it'll be centric yeah and very, with a very thin lining and with an endometrium separate to that yeah very nice Ritty describes it very well yeah. here it just says um the intradecidual sign is the early gestational sac um when seen covered by echogenic decidua is very characteristic of early pregnancy you can see it around four to 4.5 weeks yeah and at this point it's the chorion uh maybe yeah well uh, no no i think you're seeing the uh it's the endometrium reacting around uh, the sac okay. the chorion's in the sac yeah um you want to see the thin echogenic line of the uterine cavity pass by and not stop at the sac to avoid calling a little bit of fluid in the canal a sac i don't think that's that well described read no. ritty yeah. we can come back to this yeah. once we've made some notes from ritty or whatever yeah and then a dis- double decidual sac sign. That's um, when you then have your amion. So that's when you have your decidua vera. Oh, yes. Sorry. Your small amount of fluid. Yeah. And then your decidua capsularis. Yeah. Which so then you're going to join together, but essentially. No, no, uh, no, I think you're getting confused between the 
um, Amnion and the Corian. No, but I think because they would talk about this in Ritty. Oh, well, let's move on. Ritty describes it better. better yeah. um, I might not talk about any of this because I think Ritty gets it better. Okay. Reasonable. Yeah. Um, when's an embryo normally visible? Six weeks. Six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see a gestational sac without an embryo, yeah, what's going on? Well, it depends at what time. Yeah. So at six weeks, you might be a bit worried. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it might be like a failed pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So your two options are, it's either a very early pregnancy or it's a non-viable pregnancy. Uh, The classic teaching is you should see the yolk sac at eight millimetres. When when the gestational sac. Yeah, sorry, when the gestational sac um, on TV. Mm. Um, But remember, a large sac greater than eight or ten millimetres without a yolk sac is pretty reliable for non-viable pregnancy. And also if the contour of the sack is distorted that's also a sign that something's wrong okay um and then you can get something called a pseudo gestational sac okay which is not the same as an anembryonic pregnancy okay this is seen in the presence of an ectopic and you're actually seeing blood in the uterine cavity and it's lit up by bright decidual endometrium so you've got that bright ring of endometrium hence pseudo so it looks like a decidual sign it looks like you've got that endometrium that's being pumped up by all the pregnancy hormones which is the decidua decidualized endometrium but actually it's because you've got pregnancy somewhere else which is pumping up your endometrium and you've got some blood in the cavity um let's not talk about criteria for fetal demise well why don't we read you can read your ritty ones yeah 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 so a pregnancy failed when has failed when the intrauterine mean sac diameter is greater than or equal to 25 millimeters on a transvaginal scan with no yolk sac or fetal pole. Do we not just say eight millimeters? Doesn't matter. Keep going. Maybe that's worrying, and then this is definition. Yeah, go for it. Keep going. Crown rump length is greater than or equal to seven millimeters with absent embryonic cardiac activity. Fine. So sac at 25 millimetres, no yolk sac. Worrying. No, that's pregnancy is yeah, failed. Yeah. Oh, fine. Crown rump length, seven millimetres, no heartbeat. Pregnancy is failed. Ugh. Okay. Um, subchorionic hemorrhage, tell me. So that's when you bleed under the placenta? Mm-hmm. What are you worried about? Well... The, the placenta is going to come off. Yeah. And the and fetus is going to die. It's going to die. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it says here, again, Ritty's very good at this, but it says here, the thing to know is that the percentage of placental detachment is the prognostic factor. Um, so a the hema- amount of it. Exactly. Because yeah. uh, I think small ones are really common. Okay. It's not unusual at all. Okay. Um, but a hematoma greater than two thirds of the circumference of the chorion. Yeah has a two times increased risk of abortion. Um, another bit of trivia here, women older than 35 have worse outcomes with these. So if you've got one, even a small one, you're more likely to have a worse outcome if you're over 35. 
it's not far away from me. (laughs) Um, Implantation bleeding. This is a non-specific term referring to small subchorionic hemorrhage that occurs at the attachment of the chorion to the endometrium. Normal. I think it's really common. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about ectopics. I know we've already spoken about them in a different episode. What time are we on? Are we doing all right? Okay, well, let's do that and then we can move on. So what makes you at higher risk of ectopics? Older age. No. Uh, Previous uh, pelvic inflammatory disease. Really nice. Um, Previous cesarean or like surgery. I don't think so. No. Anything else? Um, yes. Uh, I know PID is the big one. PID is the big one. Uh, no surgical thing. Not here, no. There's something else, gynae pathology, yeah. that gives you scarring, like PID oh. does. Uh, endometriosis. Endometriosis, okay. exactly. Um, tubal surgery does say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, well, so naughty. Yeah. I read it like three times. It's like mouth surgical things. Um, if you are, so if your ovulation's being inducted, so if oh, you're on like. Like hyper. Yeah, you're being. What's it called again? It's my C. Clomiphene. Clomiphene. Clom- yeah. Clomiphene? Right. Yeah. Clomid. Yeah, but I think Clomid's American. I think it yeah. is Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you've had a previous ectopic, and then there's another one which is unbelievably common for women to have. The risk is low, but because they're so common. Uh, cysts? No. Uh, um, it's a type of contraception. Yeah, IUDs. Yeah. Put you at much higher risk of an ectopic. Um, where do ectopics normally happen? In the tube. Mm-hmm. They can happen like at the isthmus. It's also an ectopic, isn't it? Uh, so... 95% occur in the fallopian, usually in the isthmic portion. A small percentage, what you're talking about was the interstitial, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is where the tube's passing through the uterine yeah. wall. Yeah. And these are very high risk because they can grow before they rupture. And then when they rupture, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but you can have implantation in the abdominal cavity, ovary, cervix. Oh, yeah. Gross. Weird. Yeah. Um, so it says here, um, if you've got a positive beta HCG, but no interuterine pregnancy, you start thinking about an ectopic, right? Yeah. Um, it says here at around 2,000 international units per litre, you think about a beta HCG, so, so you think right. about ectopic, exactly. Uh, oh, no, it says here, sorry, at around 2,000 international units per litre, you should see a gestational sac. Oh, okay, so if you don't, then yeah, okay. As a general rule, normal doubling time makes ectopic less likely yeah. doesn't say what normal ectopic time is but yeah. that's fine um now i was just going to find that last bit that's told us the differences we've got it on another podcast i was going to make you do it again the differences between uh an ectopic and a um corpus luteum yeah. cyst but we've done that before so let's not worry and um, so that's the one about moving the probe exactly yeah. and the ring of fire they both have it and whatever and um, the big three to remember with ectopics i.e a positive beta hcg it says here yeah. number one if you see a live pregnancy or yolk sac outside the uterus yeah that's obvious <laughs> but number two nothing in the uterus and anything on the adnexa other than a corpus luteum 
makes you think about an ectopic. And then if you've got some moderate, a moderate volume of free fluid, then you're much more but sure. Even, because it's difficult to differentiate corpus luteum and ectopic, beta HCG and something that looks like a corpus luteum, I'd be like... Mm. I think they've got an ectopic, yeah, yeah okay. agreed. Um, and then sometimes you can see nothing in the uterus, nothing anywhere, but you can see some free fluid That's and the positive beta HCG. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd be worried. Okay. Um, more risk if the fluid is echogenic, I guess, if it's hemorrhaging. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tubal ring sign okay. is an echogenic ring which surrounds an unruptured ectopic pregnancy. This is an excellent sign of ectopic pregnancy. So around the tube, essentially. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know what that's saying. Do you know what a heterotopic pregnancy is? No. That's when you've got a baby in the uterus and an ectopic. Oh, it's like a twin. Is uterus, a exactly. Yeah. But one just hasn't got to the uterus. Um, pretty rare. Typically only seen with women taking ovulation drugs or prior bad pelvic inflammatory disease. I think we should stop there. Great, yeah. Kind regards. <laughs>